Welcome to the TriTech Games Podcast. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Blix. This is Trav. This is Amber. This is Jay. And with special guest... This is Richard Tohoka. Welcome to the Tri-Tag Games Podcast, fourth year! Yay! Yay! Yes, it's hard to believe Thank you, thank you, wacky thank you. Morning Zoo crew loves us. Show us. It is hard to believe, what was it? Uh, it was October 20th, three years ago, we dropped our very first podcast. We have done over 130 episodes since, and when I say over, because we've had a lot of extra bonus episodes we put on, like uh, John's Sunday Skyper Hardwire Hinterland episodes and a bunch of other things, and some stuff dropped from the con men through Blix. And just other stuff that we've just been putting on whenever we ran into it. So we've done a lot more in 130 episodes. Shouldn't we pick up the ones we dropped by now? That's going to get awful untidy. Yeah, well, they're kind of dusty, and I don't want to touch them anymore. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> what we want to do is, uh, if you're used to our normal topic-type episodes, this is not one of those. You know, we're here going to talk about how we're going to move the TriTech into the fourth year, and we have Richard Tohoka as a special guest to help us with that, and a lot of our previous hosts and our current hosts, including our newest host, uh, Amber Rowe. Hello! Hi, Amber. Admitting you've got a problem is the first step towards getting help. So to get us started, why don't we just hand the, the reins over to Richard Tohoka Richard, tell us what is Tri-Tax plans for 2013. Woo, we get in on the master plan. 2013, we're hoping to get finished uh, a couple more RPGs. Uh, I'm looking at uh, Bureau 13 Brass and Steam, which is a pretty good-sized book. I'm looking at Elfwinds, which is the post-Holocaust magic book. I'm looking at Easy Space, which is going to be the 1950s, what if we had gotten into space with pointy spaceships kind of book and possibly another but i'm not quite sure but maybe it's going to be portals for for fringeworthy sounds like you have like three full rpgs plus a fringeworthy supplement is that correct correct well it's going to be two non uh, three non-system books you can use with anything right they're, they're still rpgs right right still okay. rpgs we're also looking at the possibility of finishing up a Fringeworthy and Bureau 13 template to plug into systems like Fudge and D6 and some other stuff. So that's right now kind of in the works to make it easier to plug the systems into. Yeah, you know that I said way back when we first started talking about this that 
even if you write a generic systemless book, you still have to have some kind of a system in order to describe things. Uh, whatever you choose is fine with us. We've been doing pretty good with the, the, the smaller supplements like Incursion 2 from last year or this year, things like that, to actually just do a book without a system. And then, of course, we're tucking in an incredibly simple system into the back of the books if you want to use that. But we're saying use whatever you want to use. Use Palladium. You know, use uh, anything else you want. We're going to be pushing toward the Savage Worlds because that's what all of our new stuff's coming out in, right? Savage Worlds is, yeah. a, is very good. It'll be easier in the end when we put the book together if you have a operational template, much mm-hmm. like Fringeworthy D20, that you can simply plug the rest of the material in. And, of course, change the format. Any idea when these things are going to be coming out? Is there like a, you know, like a publication schedule? Oh, no. <laughs> All right. We, 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 t- we tend to work, if it's a, whenever we do a publication schedule, you can figure, forget it. Right now, what we're doing is we're, we're doing as we can. Usually, I'm, I'm now working on usually two books at a time, which is uh, right now is Brass and Steam and then Easy Space. And Easy Space has been around for, the concept's been around for probably about uh, two years and it just suddenly started to flow together really nicely. Still looking for more material for it. Art. Art has been the problem. A lot of graphics, a lot of photographs. The Brass and Steam book, I've got the uh, people from the steampunk community coming out of the woodwork to donate their pictures and material to the book, which is absolutely... The cover is done. We've got a beautiful cover for it. And we've got some other you know, pterodactyls, dinosaurs, airships... And people who are from the 1890s, it's, it's perfect. Uh, and then we've cool. got uh, more people who are donating in to uh, to do stuff, and even offering to do uh, shots with us, posing for that kind of thing. So this, I think we're going to do real good on that. Are you sure that's the kind of shots they meant? Richard's only allowed to have one beer every three weeks, remember, uh, Jay? Yeah. Mm, okay. I may break my rule and uh, have a second one tonight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. How's M doing on a side issue? Haven't seen her in email for a while. Melody, how's Melody doing? Yes. Melody is doing fine. She just she just finished up the cover for uh, Brass and Steam. And we were hoping to have it out by Gen Con, but Gen Con was just kind of a race into hell. <laughs> it's been one of the best Gen Cons we've ever promoted the games at, Richard. Yep. We had one of the most amazing Fringeworthy games that the, the people who were involved in the, the two game, the one game we did for Fringeworthy are still writing emails back about things they, they did and what was going on. In fact, they took their Pango home with them, and the GM allowed it, and now they're having a great time. Oh, wow. They're cool. funny. All right, so you're talking about the two adventures you ran. Yes. Now, I, I don't know anything about whoever else ran things. The possibility is next year we, we might go back to Gen Con, but not as an exhibitor. Exhibiting at Gen Con is, is, uh, is a nightmare. Between the, the exhibition services, cutting our table sizes without telling us, and everything else, it's just, it isn't, the cost is unbelievable to go. We, uh, we, we literally can't afford to go back. And, uh, so, but I may go back on my own, if I can figure out a way to do this, and just run games for the entire weekend but uh, again the, mm-hmm. the only problem I've got is getting from site to site hotel to hotel what I will do is 
I will tentatively set up for six or eight games. Right. As far as uh, new products are going, the new miniatures and the system we've got for uh, producing the miniatures has gone over very well. We're working with uh, Dark Platypus Studios, Andy Barlow, who's doing our castings. We're working with a couple new people who are actually doing stuff. The, the next release for miniatures will be the classic American tra trailer trash fairies. Uh, and then we're going to be doing the pro uh, a group of protesters, probably two or three protesters in a pack. With, you know, design your own signs, that kind of thing. Um, nobody's done that before. For And then we're going to possibly do some... And what we might do is do a pair of Termalorn. I'm thinking very hard right now of doing a uh, Schmert and another one. And so I don't know yet. Nice to see how they look, finally. We have some small stuff coming out. But right now, that's just... That's not... Until next year, we're going to be reintroducing the micro games in plastic boxes with tokens and dice and uh, seeing how they go. Because they did pretty good at Gen Con. We did a limited number of them. They did actually very well. And uh, I was surprised that we could actually do a full uh, combat game in a single plastic box. They came out great. People were buying them. Well, that's super, Richard. I'm glad to hear that. So micro games, the RPGs, Bureau 13, Brass and Steam, possibly Portals 4. Of, of all of them, Portals 4 is going to be more than likely the easiest one because we were we were completely surprised we got Portals 3 done so fast. It just flew together. The notebooks idea of it actually were excellent. Uh, people have commented back that they really liked the personal touch, the, the person who was who became fringeworthy, you know, much like Ed Powers, and then what happens to him over the years. Uh, the next, you know, five to ten years with his, you know, his daughter and uh, the Fringeworthy and what's going on on Earth. We, we did a lot of material on that, on what was happening on Earth. The next book I'm looking at, uh, working with Travis on, is going the negative route and down to the area where the Coptics were and to find that the, the Fringeworthy have a terrific enemy in that direction. And the questions are why and what they're doing and how to stop them, either contain them, or make friends with them. Oh yeah, Rich and I have already had discussions, and he and I are pretty much on the same page on a lot of stuff. Other things have come up as far as how history, and I mean, there's some, I figured, I've thought on that, there's some hand-waving we could do on that, because I figured out the divergent point as far as where history changed. And the Coptics are just a fantastic enemy and I, I personally, I prefer them over the Mellor. That's just me. It's how I run my game. But yeah, Rich and I have already had a couple of phone discussions about the Coptics, and he and I are are going to put a lot of work into Coptics Four, and just flesh them out big time. Anywhere you see the symbol of the pyramid and the laurel leaves around it, be careful. Yes. Peace through dropping large chunks of bricks on you, huh? <laughs> It could work. Sounds legit. Yeah. <laughs> Let's move on to talking about the podcast. First of all, let's talk a little bit about what we have planned as far as the podcast is concerned for year four. I would like to see a lot more late campaign material for Fringeworthy, which would include the Coptics. 
how they would be interacting with IDED, what that could mean for a late campaign running into them. Because they're all the way out in like 140, isn't that right, Trap? Yeah, their their home is negative uh, 140, and they have reached as far as in Portals 2, negative 116. Okay. In one way or another, they've already gotten that far. That's a really long distance away, but it's not that far at all once you got the fringe trains working for you, because they can just skip across platforms in seconds. Oh, that's a frightening thought. <laughs> if they got their own fringe trains, they can also bring it to us in a matter of seconds as well. Yes, yes. Is there going to come a time when IDET wants to keep its location more on the QT versus the way it's been saying, yeah, we're over 15 platforms to the right. Come on over and say hi. Which is what they've been doing from the beginning, right? Oh, yeah. I don't think you want to be going to the Coptic. Say, yeah, come on over. Couple, borrow a cup of sugar. No. <laughs> the rest of you guys, what other stuff would you like to see us covering in the fourth year? I'd like to get back to doing a couple more of the old school style episodes where we get into just the nitty gritty of what it takes to survive, say, in a Frenchworthy setting with a certain theme thrown in there, like, like another episode maybe on survival equipment. One we mentioned about doing an exploration of a world, uh, all the stuff that you would need and the, and the techniques you would use right after the first team, the one that determines whether the world is safe to enter or not. Then they send in the exploration team and what it's like to be that team. And then maybe even do a, an episode on what it takes to be a first contact team. I don't think we've done that yet. Basically going back to the early campaign and looking at how that works. Some of those, yeah. My current players you know, have been the first contact team, if not by choice. I would actually like looking in, because I've been running a hardware hinterland game Definitely looking into uh, fleshing out some of those environs a bit more. What do you need to worry about on, on Etawango besides cannibals? More cannibals. Well, actually, the trouble with Etawango, they're not full-time cannibals. They're only part-time cannibals. They'll eat your leg, and then you know, you can, you'll grow it back. So yeah, it's just a matter of how well you cut the leg off. Mm. That sounds like a long day. The 27 topics that we did in the past year, only one of them has been on the hardwired hinterland, and that was the one we did on lightning crystals. Yeah. We did nine on Fringeworthy, we did four on Bureau 13, and we did one on hardwired hinterland and 13 on more generic game supplement, such as gaming in the 70s, hacking, Super rich characters, promoting your podcast, subject matter experts, winging it, and of course our latest one, uh, Time to Die. Ah. In terms of the number of podcasts, I think we only did like one, maybe two on Incursion. We didn't do any on Incursion. It's, this year, no, we didn't. Thought we, yeah, you're right. None, none this year, yeah. We mentioned Incursion in several of the episodes that were generic. I'm not saying that we didn't, you know, cover, I mean, because like every one of these ones that were generic, we always brought it back to our various games, say, well, how would this be in this game or that game? But, you know, and we mentioned Incursion, but we've never actually done any podcast topic on Incursion at all. So these are one of the things that I think that we need to do is support more in Incursion, more in FTL, 
things that we haven't done so far. John, I mean, I know he's our resident FTL guy, and I mean, Incursion was my gateway game into TriTac because I remember Shelly, my daughter's mom, my first wife, bought the Yellow 92 book from Rich's table at either Confusion or Conclave. That was my first game to TriTac. I'd have to read more Incursion, too, and we could, you know, bring Incursion fans up to date with what has happened in Incursion 2, which came out this past year. I, w- I would like to talk about that, too. Um, I'm really curious about what's been updated and what's been changed and stuff, so I'm going to have to see if I can grab a copy of Incursion 2. Well, Incursion 2 is completely separate. You can play Incursion 2 and not actually know any- need to know anything that happened in Incursion 1. Well, that is the good thing about that game. From what I saw, you could play it as a totally separate campaign, or but it also brings the Incursion story forward yes that is one thing i liked about that rich is that you managed to bring that other stuff up to date and say okay what has happened with that stuff since then when i ran a game i ran an incursion game and the the apparent conclusion everyone came down to is that it's one giant cargo call they're all looking for bits and pieces of a shiny technology because it's the best stuff out there and if you can find it it's great it's good it's good cargo man Good salvage. Oh, yeah. But what we did find out in Incursion 2 was all the stuff that I thought was unique, the Ashani ship that you get in Incursion, the base game. I thought that was all pretty unique to just Ashani ships. Turns out all the ships can have that stuff. So that was a big surprise in Incursion 2. If you're running an Incursion game or thinking about it, you no longer have to be limited to using that ship. You could say... You know, I want a fleet of ships that do blue field around things and just shut down everybody's star drive. Yeah, it's just a matter of using the appropriate white box. It kind of opened it up a bit for me because I had really thought that all those things were limited to just the Adani New. Am I getting this straight that the white box technology of the Ardana New can be retrofitted to anything? Yes. Because it's self-contained. Each white box is the device. If you don't have the white box, you don't have that device. That explains the submarine floating on the cover of the new Incursion book. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. They took the submarine and, and scanned it so they knew all its dimensions and everything and replaced everything on the ship with other materials. Who's they? The people that ran the starport where the submarine appears. I might be able to explain this pretty well. The Canadian sub with the device on board, somehow made contact with the Stargate that was buried off Newfoundland in the sea. The the Stargate took a look at the sub and went, are you damaged or are you brain damaged? I'm sending you to the repair yards and shift the sub across the the other side of the galaxy along with the crew. The crew, after two jumps, ended up at the star yards. The people there who came out to see the antiquated spacecraft, not quite figuring out what it was a submarine, one of the companies did a scan and realized that they, their nuclear pile was worth almost the cost of a small world. And they offered them the ability to re-completely outfit the sub for all this old, useless nuclear material. Yeah, I just throw it away, yeah. So they exchanged their nuclear pile for a starship. They re-outfitted the sub for them without them knowing that this, the uranium pellets in the sub were the most valuable thing they had. 
they traded their cow for a bag of magic beans. They traded their their cow for a, a half a dozen beans. Yes. Yep. Absolutely, Bruce. You got that right on the head. But then again, they began to. They had the Canadians had things that just weren't available, and we went a lot into information on replication and something new nobody's ever touched on. That when you replicate things, if you are the first person replicating it, you can tack a copyright on it. Other people can't replicate it. Oh. Replicate it to any quality. If you have the original Incursion game, and you said, well, I really don't need this Incursion 2 game because I already have the original, there's a lot of information in the Incursion 2 which will really help flesh out the universe of Incursion even if you don't run the second game. So I would highly recommend everybody to go out and buy yourself a copy of that because it's re- it really does inform the original game on a lot of the areas that might have been unclear before. One of the things that are being talked about here, and we're, we're scratching our heads and looking at the copies, we're thinking very hard of re-releasing FTL 2448, probably at about 400 systemless pages. We, we may well dedicate it to Winsel Chung, one of the, you know, the the god gamer of astronomy. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think there's a good possibility it, it may come out, and, uh, and, it, and when it does, it will be full color, too, like everything else. Ooh, yeah. Right, because we're putting it on a PDF. Correct. Right now, that that is a very daunting project, considering the mass of material that's there. Right now, there's a minimum of 300 uh, pages that aren't system. And plus the additional supplement that came out, which is another another hundred uh, some pages non-system. The supplement that went into the main book was uh, were cop in the star maps. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we are now completely outdated because they published a new catalog of nearby stars, and we would have to go back and double the size of what we did in six years. Astronomy has completely changed what we what we know about what we're seeing. And the yeah. funny part was, I, I was looking up some stuff for another game. I mean, we even have planetary maps around some of the nearby stars. We know what kind of objects are there. We just don't know the whole story, and we don't have a very clear picture. And that could change in about five minutes and outdate everything you write. The good part is the original FTL was very close in many ways to what we've discovered now, which I'm very happy about. The yeah. fact, you know, the planetary generation and everything, but the fact that the life zones... You're going to find more planets now on uh, reds and oranges. Let's go back over that again, because I just like the sound of it. We live in a time when they're making maps of nearby stars in their planetary systems, and we're and, and our role-playing games might be outdated by discovery of new planets. I'm just going to sit here and giggle to myself for, over that. <laughs> yeah, this year we also released a post-Holocaust book called Cloisters. Oh, yeah. Which was, uh, which is, I haven't had much commentary on it yet, but uh, then again, the, the post-Holocaust industry is kind of at a low. <laughs> it, it's It's been destroyed by something, huh? Right now, if it's not zombies, nobody wants to really talk about it, but there's lots of other you know, post-apocalypse stuff that we can grow into. The back end of the new Brass and Steam book it's called Cowboys and Indians and Zombies. About 25 pages worth. Well, there, there was just a, a recent movie. In fact, I, I watched about half of it so far, and it's surprisingly good, called Exit Humanity. And it's about the Civil War and right after it and a zombie outbreak. 
Oh, terrific movie. Hmm. Okay, uh, Rich, could you give us a little more on what Cloisters is about? Cloisters is a hundred years after the 2018 uh, World War. Everything is pretty much flattened. It's very much, uh, you know, considering we worked on the Morrow Project about thirty some years ago. It's the time just before the project or something before the rebirth of civilization. It's the end of a new dark age. And it's about uh, the city of Detroit, which is called the Miracle of Detroit, that wasn't bombed. Three Chinese Mervs missed. Well, except for the one that fell in Warren, and it was turned into a lampstand. And it's about the fact that there were three Vatican Catholic cardinals in Detroit at the Shrine of the Little Flower. Beautiful, beautiful place. It became the new Vatican. The monks that are there are preserving knowledge. They're very much into tech. The, the Pope is called uh, Kevin the Builder because he's brought back electricity to the Holy City, which is Berkeley, Michigan, and uh, the Detroit surrounding areas. What is the role of the PCs in this game? How do, you, how do you see that working? The players in the game are monks. They do missions. They move knowledge. They do things. There's uh, seven or eight scenarios in the book, which is a large number for one of our books. It reminds me vaguely of the City of Ember. A little bit of the City of Ember, a tiny touch of the A Canticle for Leibowitz. I was going to mention that. Yep, and uh, and any number of other books about the about you know coming out of a Holocaust situation. Of course, there are three or four types of enemies. There is something called the Ministry, who basically believes that one one book. One Bible is good for about 300 parishioners, and nobody should read except them. And uh, it, their version is a loose-leaf version of the Bible that was rewritten. Um, they're, the other group are called Luddites, who basically would like nothing better than to take monks, tie them to trees, and burn them. Because of any technology at all. And, but uh, fire is a technology. Pardon? Fire is a technology. At well, least that's what I'd be yelling at them if they were trying to tie me to a tree and burn me. And uh, it, it, it covers a little bit of the problems that are happening, the, uh, the fact that a lot of cities are under the control of warlords, like the city of Pontiac up north of here. And, uh, but it's, it's, he's a beneficial warlord as opposed to a, a road warrior type. The warlord of Pontiac. I love that. I thought man. Pontiac was already <laughs> ro- being ruled by an overlord. Uh, I mean, I live here, man. The, uh, the, the big stadium, the Silver Dome, is an arena for people who transgress against the law. It's, it's pretty fun. Welcome to the Thunderdome! <laughs> the New Vatican's trying desperately to, rink a, a, to link a rail yard to Canada, to Windsor, and then down to Buffalo, which was also missed. So we've got three major cities trying to work together and progress, having their own problems, and basically you're, you're, you're involved in it. You're allowed to carry firearms. You put the R in archives. You have some technology, uh, basically, and uh, there's a huge amount of possible missions you can you can generate, and reasons behind them. And uh, basically, it's sort of a overland. I would call it like an overland D and D kind of thing. You know, basically, you're heading out and uh, you're going to you're going to solve problems. You're going to help people do whatever. It's, it's you're going to recover fun. old technology and kill bad guys for fun and profit. And kill bad guys that, that you can't either help or turn into friends. That kind of thing. Tritac just, just never does anything that really 
just goes out and kills people. We we have to have a good basis for you know having having making friends and that kind of thing. Okay. Players will kill people anyway. So. <laughs> yeah, they got that part handled. But uh, yeah, that that did come out at uh, at Gen Con. We had quite a few quite a few people picked it up, which uh, surprised me. It was the fringe where the fringe where the portals did the best? Portals four. Three. Was it was it Portals three or Portals four? Yeah, Portals three. Pardon me, Portal Portal three. See, I'm Getting a little ahead of yourself. Yeah, don't rush us, man. Rich and I can only work so fast. Come on. <laughs> Portals four is boring a hole in my memory, and I'm starting a notebook on the the whole basis for what I'm doing. But then again, mm. I got to talk to Trav a little bit more. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, so we have Portals three that came out this year. We have Cloisters that came out this year. And we have Incursion 2, what is it, Canadians Across the Galactic Empire? Yes. Okay, so we have those three things that came out. They all premiered at Gen Con this past August, which we did our own little bombarding of Gen Con. And, and Rich even mentioned, people came up to you and said, what, you're still alive? <laughs> Far too many people. Uh, it's it's kind of terrifying that people are coming to me saying, is that guy over there Richard? Uh, did he? Wasn't his funeral like a couple? Of, no, that was his. Oh, oh, three minutes. I thought he was. And it's like, oh my god. Yeah, if everybody, if, if I had a nickel for every time somebody thought they were, I was dead. That uh, I guess that some people probably have made a profit. That your big wedding thing was was your big funeral thing, and I'm like, what? <laughs> Richard's big fat uh, zombie funeral. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> so I don't know. So I take it that well, Richard, well, well, Amber, we can thank your mom and that that hamburger for nearly making it a funeral. <laughs> <laughs> all, all I have to say is my mom came home with the strangest flower thing that the bridesmaids were supposed to hold. I don't know. The bridesmaids got the weirdest flowers, and the guys had boutonnieres, and the the theme was. Cthulhu and sea life. Yeah, that's that's good for a wedding. That's not nightmare fuel or anything. No, no. Sometime we'll have to post what these things look like, and people still have them on display. My mother still has hers. It's like this Cthulhu baby sea monster thing, and it was surrounded by flowers. <laughs> Cthulhu monkeys. For those of you not in the know, Rich got married at. Uh, confusion up in Troy, Michigan about, what, three years ago it's coming up on? Yeah, so, and all, and all of us except Jay were there. I mean, I met Bruce and John finally, uh, and Blix, I met Bruce and John there finally for the first time at Rich's wedding. And of course, Amber, I've known probably 10 years. Rich, I've known 20. So, yeah, Rich's wedding was about three years ago. So that's what we're referring to is... I was there in spirit. Yeah, yeah. Hey, and we have an episode on that if you want to go back and check it out. That's right. It's entire Richard's wedding, and I believe Richard Melody and Terry Williams are all involved in that. Terry baked three cakes for That's him, true. And they were the oddest cakes you have ever seen. That's true. Never let, never let two comic artists try to decorate a cake, hand them six different colors and whatever, and say, okay, decorate this. Bill Keel and uh, um, what's his name? The, uh, the, other, the other anime artist. It yeah. was the most hysterical cake topping we've ever seen. See, Richard, that was your mistake. You can't give a, a comic artist any more than four colors. Right. <laughs> and one very sad note to add to this. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Malcolm Cleveland 
the very tall guy that was uh, sitting and uh, actually stopped me from punching the guy who fell, nearly fell into the cake, um, he passed away. From leukemia, yeah. It was so fast. And, and uh, one, one thing I'll say, Malcolm was a inspiration on the original Kansas-class ships. He did the very first set of blueprints. He added to FTL. He did Cleveland-class tugs. He added a lot of material. Oh, that was all him. Okay. See, I know Malcolm from doing something called Radio Free Confusion, him and Freon. I have a picture somewhere in my mess of stuff on my desk, and Amber and Blix have seen my desk, so they know of what I speak. And somewhere in there, yes, quiet, Pip. And I have a picture somewhere of Malcolm and Freon at a table doing Radio Free Confusion. That is what I know Malcolm from. And when I heard he, he passed... Um, it, it was quick. It was like within it a couple of weeks. It was lightning fast. We heard he was in treatment, then he was gone. Yeah, it like was two weeks. It was very insidious. It was leukemia. And it just, it's very, it's, it's really heartrending because Malcolm was wonderfully creative, funny, and he did stop me from punching somebody. So <laughs> that's always, that's always a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Rest in peace, Malcolm. Okay. Well, moving on. Let's talk about what were our favorite episodes, preferably our favorite episode for the last year. Who wants to go first? I will. Why not? Go ahead. I think my favorite episode would have to be my two-parter introductory episode of Bangor, Maine. I, I really feel like that was my baby. Oh, yeah. You did a fantastic job with that. I was very impressed with how you just went click, 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 and everything was laid up. Because I remember you did an outline for it. Pip and I talked exclusively about Banger Maine. God, it's almost a year and a half ago now we had those discussions when we made Saren. Two years. No, it was uh, early 2011. So about, a, yeah, almost two years now. Yeah, it was pre-winter two years ago. Yeah, so uh, she and I did a lot of discussion on Banger Maine about what was there. And then I just decided, well, we should probably let the people who play these games know about what could be in Banger Maine. That led to Pip saying, well, okay, we do an episode. And that was her introduction. That was her baptism by fire here on the podcast. And I'm very proud of her for what she's done on that. Uh, normally, we don't recommend baptizing people with fire. But in her case, it's... No. <laughs> fire, good. <laughs> As opposed to the, the whole kill it with fire thing. You know? Yeah. Fire, good. Okay, Blix? For this one... I'm not going to pick one episode because it was it was a series that we did and they all kind of played together. But I really liked the disaster episodes. I thought that that was a, a really good series that we did. And I think it really it, it could bring a lot to the gaming table uh, for, for players. It crosses all boundaries. It's, it's for any kind of game that you want to play. Um, and I think, you know, we all did one. The thing I really liked about that was we all did a lot of research on it. Uh, and we we really came to the table prepared, and I think we brought a lot of benefit to play to you know to DMs or, or game masters or, and the players too uh, for playing in that kind of environment because we covered you know the hazards that you would run into. You know, I personally, from doing my research, learned a lot about what hurricanes really are and how to break them down and what kind of things you run into. It was just interesting. You know, and I think we brought a lot to 
what you could do adventure-wise in that as well. And I think we covered all the bases. So I, I like the Disaster series. Excellent. I, I agree. I thought that was a really great series. I have it down in the list twice because we had the Adventuring Through Disasters, and then we came back later on and added one extra one when we added the zombie apocalypse. Okay, because uh, a lot of people have said that the zombie apocalypse is really not uh, anything more than another hazardous environment in which the real story, which is the story between the different players, plays out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, zombies are a force of nature. That was actually disease. You know, we had done all the natural disasters and such, and then that episode was on disease. But instead of trying to cover every disease in general or whatever, we just we took the fun route. Uh, we had Ben Gerber on. Uh, who had re- who's been working on a, a zombie, um, like a fantasy zombie apocalypse setting? We just used the zombies as as the disease because it was fun to do that way. It was more fun than doing like chicken pox or something. You can't shoot chicken pox in the head. <laughs> oh, right. So Jay, I, I know you weren't a host during most of this, but did you have a particular episode that you liked during the past year? I haven't really caught up on the past year's catalog yet. I'm listening in my car while I'm working and going through and yelling back at my iPod. And that that's most of the fun for me is is you'll see that I'm starting to post comments on our Facebook group saying, oh, yeah, when you went around this point, I sort of saw this. And so that's really where I'm at now is, is playing catch up. So so anything that you listen to that – well, real quick, uh, Jay, anything that you that you listen to that you particularly liked so far? Yeah, I just like uh, I just like the puzzling and and the troubleshooting and the thinking things through in all the episodes because we kind of start with a topic and then we start banging out what the implications of that are and start walking through you know where that leads us and and I enjoy that thought process even if you know my microphone is permanently muted and you can't hear me when I'm yelling back at my iPod. If I was there, I would have said this, right? <laughs> uh huh. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> Okay, I'm trying to recall, did the episode we did on uh, Fringeworthy and video games, was that this past year or was that the year before? That was the year before. Oh, okay, darn. I would have to say that it would be the Banger Main episode because I'm extremely proud of what Amber did with that as her first go, her baptism by fire, but also because I kind of had a hand in it because she and I talked about that stuff for a year. Her coming over to my place and just we were just fleshing out serendipity and talk, I'd explain to her about what Banger Main was, and we so I had a hand in that episode in a in a in a lesser capacity. So just on all those bases alone, I would have to say the Banger Main episode was my favorite from this year. I mean, we've had other good episodes, but just that one stands out in my mind as you know, we we started off this past year right with just you know the calendar year because it it happened in January with boom. One of the biggest things about Bureau 13. So, yeah, that would have to be my favorite. All right. Well, since we're uh, give John uh, a little bit more time. Well, well actually, I've, I've, I've come up with mine now. Okay, go then. Go right ahead, John. What, what was your favorite episode from their third year? It crosses both years from the first, from the second year to the first to the third year, and that's when we were expanding on the the, the different races in Fringeworthy, because they, well, they really needed that expansion a, a bit. Uh, they they really helped me in, in doing my work for them in the uh, Severed Worlds write ups and so forth to expand them out a bit and give right. them more flavor. And, right. Uh, yeah. And the two races we did this year were the Blizzniz and the Dezeal. That's right. Yeah, right. The Blizzniz, 
I'm sorry, and, and the Golden Horde. Oh, yeah, the Golden Horde. That actually has come into play with my current playtest group. We met the con. I also found Six Fringeworthy and along the way. Uh, the, the, the the last three were easy. The con simply ordered the city of Karakorum to march past the guy with the crystal. <laughs> Even so, I mean, how many people live in that city? About 300,000. Well, that gives you three, right? Yeah. That's a few days' work right there. Where'd the other three come from? All serendipitous. You know, they found one in a small town. They found another one someplace else along the way. And, you know, and here and there. And Suspension of disbelief. <laughs> These things just happen. It's one in 100,000 unless, of course, the GM decides otherwise. Yeah, right. Anybody he wants to be fringe-worthy is fringe-worthy. And, of course, I took a tip of a hat for the episode. The last one they found was Princess Buri, uh, the youngest daughter of the Khan. Cool. That, of course, is making all sorts of fun things going on at this, you know, at the point in time. Of course, they went to Earth Prime, and they went on a wild, wild world trip of, of the world. And, of course, they did stop in uh, Mongolia for a week and visit Karakorum, and it's all ruins now. So it's like, oh. It's like, okay, maybe we shouldn't have shown her this. Yeah, <laughs> that was a bad idea. She would have asked. Maybe there's some sort of proximity effect. The closer to the gate, the more light. The closer to the ring station, the more likely they are to be fringeworthy. Well, I'm glad you were able to leverage that in, uh, podcast into a lot more material for your campaign. That's why we do these things. Yep. We hope that everybody out there who listens to us is running a fringeworthy campaign and putting our good ideas to good use and using our bad ideas as examples of what not to do. <laughs> yeah, we can we can identify what's good by uh, negative. If we say it and it's not good, well, then you know it's not that, and you can try the next thing. That's right. The Tri-Tech Games Podcast, your cautionary tale. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. We have a lot of people and fans of the Tri-Tech Podcast. They talk a lot. Whenever anything, anybody talks about anything, it's usually about a Tri-Tech game. But what would be very interesting is, because I know there are people who are on that forum or, you know, on Facebook who play other games. You know, I I do. We we all do from time to time. We'll play other games and stuff. Gasp! Other games? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but you know what's funny is, is that even though we play, you know, my group's always played other games here and there, we've almost always incorporated the setting of Fringeworthy into it. So we're still generally still playing Fringeworthy at some point. But... What I'd like to hear from uh, is anyone who has taken our ideas, you know, the generic style ideas like the disaster episodes or, or any of those ones that, that are not game specific or not, not tri-tech specific. And I'd like to hear what you, you know, if you've gotten anything out of that, you know, because we, we try to cover a lot of bases with this show. and We always come back to the tri-tech product, but we also try to help gamers in general. And it'd be really nice to hear from people that they've taken some of our ideas and used them in their other games as well. That's one reason why of the 27 episodes we did this past year, 13 of them, over half, are just for any game system, any game you might want to play. Our God, our collective gaming experience, I mean, we can pretty much make a position on any game that you guys play just because, as I said, all of us... I think, you know, with the exception of Amber, have about 30 years each gaming experience minimum. I've got about 32 years myself, so it's like I've got people coming to me now asking me for how to, how to create a game setting. 
So, you know, and multiply that by a factor of, you know, six. And that's a lot of experience you know, for you all listeners to use for your games, not just TriTac, but whatever system you have. By all means, feed us back what you've done with, you know, anything that we've espoused on this podcast over the past three seasons. Please. So anyways, my favorite episode was clearly Troublesome Characters. Oh, yes. I loved the characters you guys came up with. For those of you who aren't caught up, the premise was we wanted to take characters that would be really hard to integrate into a team of any kind because of some quirk or aspect of the character. Just like players sometimes have trouble integrating with a group, so do characters have trouble integrating with a group. And therefore, we had to say, what would it take for this character to be able to integrate? Where would they have to make allowances, where do they have to make compromises and things like that? Because these are real role-playing questions that go into character design, go into setting design, and I think it enriches the group by having to deal with these issues because then they end up having more interesting interactions with each other because of these differences. Bruce, I was going to say, I mean, as far as troublesome, I'd have to say... Well, I'm sorry, Blix. Yours was the topper. <laughs> then Bruce's, just because of the language barrier and how uh, Scratch was her name? Scratch, yeah. The urban tribalist. Yeah, then John's and then mine, because mine, all that was, was just the John, former cop and military who hates tech geeks and he's on iDebt and he has to deal with mostly tech geeks and he can't, I mean despises them. John did the con man who is too chummy and it's like he'll give you a compliment but it's almost like a backhanded insult too. He's a backstabbing face man. Well, yeah. I mean, he'll help you out but it won't always be to your benefit 100%. You know, yeah, I got you this thing. Problem is he stole it from somebody else and now they're after us. Right. Then Bruce had the urban tribalist Scratch who the description was very vivid. As soon as Bruce started talking, bam, I had it in my head. And then Blix's. <laughs> what? The doctor who secretly was a cannibal. And just, it's, I'm hearing this and I'm like, oh my lord, I am out of my league with what I came up with here. <laughs> but it was a good episode because it made, the, and, and I think it was just the four of us guys that were present for that. It really made us, you know, really think about, okay, what would really push a campaign's buttons if we were to make a character? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the whole idea was to really cause us as podcasters and game designers to really stretch and say, you know, we want to be as extreme as possible, but yet we still want it to be a character that could work. And so that was a very dynamic balancing that we had to do with that, and I think that was really good. And of course, when I ran my games at Gen Con, I was very quick to add all those characters into the demo team parties. Ah, uh, yes. You put them all together? Yes. Oh, dear God, man. <laughs> the players didn't always choose them all together. But I had quite a few people who liked Scratch, and they took the, the military guy. Every one of them had their day in the sun, for sure. Wow. I was surprised, too, because I was like, you know, you do realize how hard these characters are, you know, to play. And they all said, yeah, but look at what they can do. And I said, yeah, well, that was the point, was to make them valuable. 
yeah. enough to overcome for other characters to be willing to work through the, the difficulties of the character. What was Scratch? She was, she was a hacker? She was a, a hacker. She had really high um, uh, verbal skills. The way I used it in Savage Worlds was I gave her really high taunt uh, and the smart tricks where because she could do this kind of stuff, she was able to, and she was so outrageous, she would get in the bad guy's face and she would cause them to become shaken which would then give everybody bonuses to take them down. Intimidate. Intimidate, Intimidate. yes, thank yeah. you. She was also very, very good with computers. And the biggest thing was is that she you know, insisted on networking, even though she had really hard time doing it because of her personal communication issues. It was a pretty well-rounded team. I mean, you had a face man, uh-huh. a hacker, a physician, and a combatant. Right. I mean, that's not a bad combination to have as a, as a team. If it doesn't implode or explode, yeah. Well, yeah, right, exactly. If- oh, the face man, I remember how I made him. Basically, unless he rolls a two, he almost gets a, a, a raise. Uh, you know, unless he blows the roll, he gets a raise on a two, on, on a D6. He gets a raise. Okay. <laughs> you know, on that raise. I mean, he has a plus six to his, to his uh, persuasion and his... Uh, Persuasion Streetwise roles, basically. He was that good. And since I gave out prizes for good role-playing, I was looking for seeing them playing the negative side of their characters as well as their positive. Everybody just did a really good job of it. It was interesting to see all these characters being integrated with Team Fremont, (laughs) which I'm sure never would have been uh, John's idea (laughs) of a good addition (laughs) to his teams. John, and John Sentner all no. said, you did what? <laughs> no. <laughs> anyway, so that was my favorite episode was the Troublesome Characters, though, really, I mean, I look over the, the, the 27 different topics we did over the past year, and all of them were just great, great topics. What really amazes me is how much time we spent on the Blizzness. We actually did four episodes on the Blizzness. Wow. No, three. Three episodes. Like three episodes on the business because people were just, wow. We had so many questions that came in off of Facebook asking questions about them. It was one of the, the base episode we did, followed by two player question episodes that were predominantly about the business. Well, yes, because we're that much we're that important for the game, you know. Yes, the telepathic, pacifistic elephants. Yes, they drive the game. What races do we have left to do? In this year, what we have to do this year is all of those people that uh, all those prime worlds and such that are supposed to be like our allies on the French Pass, but we don't know really hardly anything about them, like the Norlanders and the Heavies and all those other people. The Pax Romana. Right. We've done the Demixi, we did the Tazil, we did the Blizzness. Right. Have we done the Kegak? Yes. We talked about them way back uh, originally when we were talking about them. A couple of years ago, actually, we first brought out the two characters about why their world was the way it was and who they were. They don't come together as a culture. That's one reason why we haven't done more with them. But I, I really think that we need to really flesh out the rest of these ones that are in the list of, of, of possible player character races because they, they deserve it. I mean, it's been, you know, 30 years in the making. Let's actually flesh them out. When we do the Victorians, I'll, I like to invite my friend Paul. He's been playing the Victorians in my game, and he's really helped a lot in fleshing them out. 
Oh, Paul Nunes? Oh, yeah. Oh, I've been reading his posts in the group. This guy, yeah, he could bring a lot to... I mean, he, he very in-depth discussions, him and John in the in the Fans of the Tri-Tech podcast Facebook group. So. Well, I think that we should hold off on the Victorians until the Savage Worlds edition of Fringeworthy comes out, because I know, John, that you're going to have a huge section of it going to be devoted to the Victorians. So that's the perfect time to do that. Yeah. And this would be a, well, this would be a surprise to Richard because he probably hasn't, I haven't told him yet, because the option is going to be an option in the, in the Savage Worlds version of Fringeworthy. You can play Idet or you can play Taze. It's your choice. Right. Because the other worlds really don't have exploration uh, organizations. These are the, the only two are really the Taze and IDET with, with the, the first six in either direction platforms. Even Bureau 13, which you'd think would be like really interested in this, they're too busy policing their own world or, frankly, universe to be busy going off and working on the French Pass other than mining it for technology for Ray Robertson's uh, goodie bags. Yeah, they tablet would be just going. No, no, no. Trust me. You just just stay here. Just you got enough here. Trust me. You don't you don't want to go there. Don't go there. <laughs> Drinking from the fire hose. That's right. Oh no, Colonel Tablet would just say, "Be oh come on, let us go through," and she'd just be shaking her head, going, "No." <laughs> That's interesting because I'm doing uh, I'm doing another way off over there node set for a one on one game I'm doing. And I basically randomly rolled that there's a group over there that's trying to put together their own fringeworthy group, but it's from a fantasy role-playing style world. So basically they're looking for an adventuring party that's composed of fringeworthy people. What does that look like when you're running into other people's uh, fringeworthy parties? What does that look like when you're interacting with another culture's attempt to explore the fringe paths? Oh no! I've done fantasy and fringeworthy. That's the can- that's the campaign I do at at various con- local cons around here. That my the the woman I'm with is involved in that, and she plays an airship captain. So it's sort of a steampunk, but it's still D and D. You have a half orc barbarian. I've done that. It's very cool adding fantasy to fringeworthy, which we've done on previous podcasts. The question is about other people's fringeworthy efforts, other people's exploration efforts, and how 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 to interact with those. Ah. Uh, yeah, we had somebody suggest that a long time ago that we ought to just take people on buses and drive them up to the one in Canada and just you know just do a weekend pass. You know, the government you know can't be that much. You just to, to, to take a couple hundred thousand people every weekend and just walk them through until you find it's to find your friends worthy on Canada and the United States. If you want to be most efficient, you build a ramp so that you can actually walk enough that you can actually go through the widest portion of the portal. So you can get the most maximum throughput. So that's about maybe it's twenty five foot wide. So you can get about ten people at a time through to the warp. In, in Portal Three, it talks about the fact that they're using some of the lesser crystals and doing fringeworthy exhibitions all over the world to tag mm-hmm. people. And when they come to the exhibition to see the crystal, the crystals will react to the people who close are, are close in and are fringeworthy. And the better mm-hmm. the reaction. The, the the better the fringe worthy. There's grades of fringe worthy. Yep, and we got the guy in the uh, port of the portals three book. He's taking his daughter to meet a real live slark. She's ten years old and she likes slarks. <laughs> he walks by the crystal without thinking, and it just knocks him on the floor, and he throws up. 
And then Powers is standing there, and he's laughing, and he's saying, well, welcome to the club. (laughs) So what is the detection range on a crystal by itself? The detection range? If you're walking by it and not thinking about it, probably about 15 feet. Yeah, we, I always put it at 20, yeah. That's a 40-foot diameter area, which is quite a bit in most hallways or places you might put a crystal. Richard, is there any particular thing you would like us to promote or cover on the podcast this coming year? The main thing for next year, I'd, I'd love to see some more stuff on Hinterland. I'd like to see something eventually when it comes out in Easy Space, because I think Easy Space is going to be a fun one. Some other possibilities there. Uh, I think you're doing a wonderful job on these. Uh, I wish I could I could be there more often. Go along that line, I think, and because uh, you're doing really, really well. It's Some of the ones I've been able to hear are absolutely terrific. But with the addition of, of Amber and some of the, uh, you know, hopefully a few new people, it's, it's going to work even better. Well, speaking of that, we do want to say that one of our, our big things was, A, the return of Jay Haley, and also the addition of our new host, who's been on a, a quite a few episodes, though not speaking a whole lot so far, and that's uh, Amber. I may not be speaking much, but I'm listening. I'm trying to learn as much <laughs> as I can. We definitely want you to start leading a lot more of these episodes in the future. So you need to be proactive about coming up with topics you want to lead so that we can support you in this. Yeah, Pip and I got to do more discussions on on the history of the various games and whatnot, which means either she's going to be coming down here or I'm going to be having to head up to Pontiac in order to, for her and I to sit down and have confabs over all things TriTech. The two of you are more than welcome to come down and dig through the shelf of uh, the archive shelves. I introduced Amber's mother to her father. There was a a distinct possibility that if he hadn't introduced them, that Richard could, I guess, sort of possibly have been my dad. And that's a creepy (laughs) thought I don't want to think about. I love you, Richard. (laughs) And of course, I met Amber at local conventions, and it was funny because I only knew her as either Bosia or Shiro's the two names that she went under at, at cons on her con badge. And all of a sudden, and she says her last name, I go, wait a minute, Karen Jamal, Jesse's your sister? Jessica Zerwis, who I'd known for years, but I never made the connection that Jesse and, and Amber were sisters. So it just all of a sudden clicked. I'm like, holy, <laughs> I've known Amber for years. And then she came to me with the whole Saren thing about two years ago. And uh, after... Oh, God. Uh, and I'm blanking on her name. Oh, my God. We had her on for gaming and gender. Jess Hartley. Met her at Gen Con. She practically glommed me when I met her at the media meet and greet. After that, we decided we would like a full-time female co-host. And so Amber's here now. And as I said, Pip, I'm so proud of you and what you've done with the Banger main episode. Just, it, it's from here, Pip. I'm very proud of you. And I will add this in. Bruce, you can edit this out. Uh, Amber, if, if you had been my daughter, I would have been very proud of you. Oh. No, no, no leave that in. That or it's third beer talking. <laughs> hey, the third beer talking makes for good uh, podcasting. Yeah, have another one, Richard, one for each bypass. Oh, in, in Sam Adams, there is truth. Four bypasses. That's what I said. You should have another one then. Oh. <laughs>
Bruce, I was going to say real quick, let's just touch on uh, where we represented TriTac really, really well this year. And I know we did shows on it, but just to mention it and talk a, just a second about what we're going to do in the future for representing TriTac at conventions. We did a big showing at Gen Con. You and I showed up, and, and I think we represented very well at um, Dragon Con. John, I think you did a... You did some stuff at Dragonflight or something, didn't you? I usually end up running Bureau 13 games at Dragonflight. I have a almost a regular set of players, and they the thing is they're also old-time fans, so I actually have to come up with fresh stuff. I can't actually dig and recycle the old stuff. Well, that that pushes you to your limits, and that, that fires up your creativity, so don't complain. That's a good thing that you got to come up with new stuff to keep these guys on their toes. And uh, anywhere else, John, that you've run, uh, you've uh, represented TriTech? Oh, down at uh, GameStorm in uh, Vancouver, Washington. I've been down there and ran a couple games. Definitely ran a Bureau 13 game. Actually, I ran the Bureau 13 game I, I, I ran at Gen Con. It, it actually, it's one where we're talking about unexpected things and so forth happening in your game. That was my game. That was the, the example game for that, <laughs> where the players went off on a complete different tangent, and I had to follow behind them. <laughs> So anyone else? Uh, Bruce, you run anywhere else other than uh, Dragon Con and uh, Gen Con? I did run at TimeGate, which is the cross-Stargate Doctor Who convention that we have here in Atlanta. And they're having a, a Doctor Who anniversary party in about a month, and I'm planning on being there. If not, if I don't know if I'm going to run, but I'm definitely going to be doing some stuff for the con men. Okay, cool. And I've been running my... Fringe-worthy campaign, and it's D20. I'm the resident D20 junkie here. Um, I've been running my Fringe-worthy campaign now at local cons since Conclave last year. So this month, it'd be one year that this campaign's been going. I've run it at Conclave, Confusion, PenguinCon, World Steam Expo, Yukon, Michigan up at Oakland University. So this campaign's been going strong. As a matter of fact, two of my gamers... Dan Oz Osborne and Gina Moeller will be getting married this Halloween in Garden City, and Laura and I will be attending that. So, I mean, this I, I'm still running that campaign. I just haven't had a chance to get to local cons and run the game. And, of course, Gen Con was sort of a, a last-minute thing for me, so I didn't get a game plan for that. But, yeah, I'm still running my games at local cons for TriTech, mostly Fringeworthy. Yeah, we have we are we will be going to Conclave to to Yukon in Michigan in about three weeks. Yeah, that's at Ann Arbor. I'll be running a couple of games. Uh, we will be doing uh, Confusion if I if they allow me tables for it. They're getting very twitchy and they jury the tables now. And whether this new group of people besides Tritac is worthy to go, we will go. We will not, but they won't tell us yet. Well, yeah, um, Confusion's at the new at the Doubletree there in Dearborn. It's no longer at the Troy Marriott. Yep, and so, uh, but they're, they've been real twitchy about the Huckster's Room uh, and about actually jurying people in, which, you know, I used to run the Huckster's Room for them. Yeah. I'm amazed at the, the quality of the fact that you, of how, that the fact you're jurying people. Yeah. Marcon, we're in. We got a double spread at Marcon. Uh, we're going to probably do a, a fringe-worthy game at Marcon. And uh, after that, I'm not sure yet whether I will make it to Origins or not. Probably not. Uh, Gen Con is up in the air, and Dragon Con, Dragon Con, if I can weasel on Bruce for Crash Space. Richard, you're always welcome at my house. 
Oh, good. This time I'll leave the dogs and cats behind. <laughs> Fine. And don't bring any more canned haggis. I still tell that story to people, and they go, what? <laughs> Laddie, you brought canned haggis? Lovely so, canned haggis. Canned haggis is, haggis is great. Rich, it's something you can eat. And notice I said something you can eat. <laughs> Laddie, you gotta make it fresh. With a fresh stomach to shove the bits into. I go to Dragon Con every year, so I'm definitely going to hit Dragon Con again this the, this coming year. In February, I'm going to Total Con. I'm going to be running a couple games there. Baltic Con, I may do something gaming there. There are gamers that go. That might be a good idea. That might be a good place to to you know to grab in some people who are looking for a good role playing game to play. Gen Con is a possibility. It's definitely on my my wish list, but I want to see you know who else is going and what else is going to happen. Uh, it's it's a good possibility I'll go though. Oh God! What what's that one other con up in New Hampshire? You go um, OGC, I think it is. Oh, and I am going to OGC this year, and I am going to run some games at OGC. Okay, I knew you do that regularly, so I was. Well, I do. I haven't been there in a couple of years, but I promised I promised them that this year I'm going. So I, I've already re- reserved my hotel room, and um, I, I'm going to that. So. All right, I want to thank all my hosts for the excellent work that they've done on this podcast for the past year. I mean, you guys have really made it work. You guys have been great showing up on time and and, and just really bringing the awesome. I want to really thank uh, Richard for creating the games that have fired our imaginations and made us willing to sit down in front of these mics for over 130 episodes. And I just want to thank all of our families who have put up with us disappearing for, in my case, over six hours every week as I edit the podcast. <laughs> but also, you know, just basically been willing to give us the time and the space to follow our passions, which is our love of games and gaming. And I just think it's been great, and I'm looking forward to another 52 episodes uh, or whatever that splits out to in the two-hour segments we chop up uh, in the next coming year. Bruce. I personally want to thank you for doing all the hard editing work that you do. I mean, you really take the brunt of this. You, you definitely deserve the uh, the Tri the TriTech Podcast Award for that. And real quick, I just want to say that I am completely amazed that we're still going strong. I remember when we were talking about recording the first episode, we were worried that we'd run out of stuff to talk about, and that hasn't happened. And it doesn't look like it's going to happen anytime soon. We've ar- we've already got like. Three shows planned out uh, for this this next year, and that's just in, you know, just in talking before this podcast. Like in a gaming group, I mean, it, it just started out you, John, and Bruce. Then Jay and I were added at episode twenty four, mission failure. Well, like with any gaming group, you add new blood, and things get fired up. And between the five of us, we have you know thirty years each. All right. You know, Jay had to leave for a while, unfortunately. Well, uh, an attack of life, as they call it. Then we brought in Amber, who not only we have a much younger gaming perspective, but also a female perspective, which a lot of times that is very helpful. There is a, a viewpoint often that has come up due to because we did the thing on gender and gaming with Jess Hartley, and that discussion came in. But yeah. Pip being a younger, uh, a less experienced gamer than us, she also comes in and thinks outside that that established gamer box. So, yeah, we've brought in the new blood, and now we're starting our fourth season. We're gonna need a we're gonna need a stronger box for her. 
<laughs> oh. No, Pip has brought, with the banger in an episode, she's lit a fire under us, and with the outline she put in our private Facebook group, I was impressed. I'm like, wow. Jay, you're always a part of this. Just because you weren't here, we didn't kick you out or nothing. You're you're always a part of this. You joined in with me. You joined in with me. Come on. You're you're part of this this family here, too. Okay, next year, I would like to, or the next uh, season, I would like to get my wife, Melody, involved, because she's very good about character psychology, very good about dealing with bad GMs, something you haven't really covered, I don't think. Probably more on characterization and difficult characters. Uh, probably another section on difficult characters, because she's got some wonderful stuff. Well, that would be great. Tell her to send some topic ideas our way, and we'll be glad to include her. Oh, yeah. I would be happy to include her without any ideas. One of the better, a couple of the, the uh, better historians I know, and uh, like, uh, well, Richard Senesak, the uh, lawyer, Bruce, you know Richard. Yes, I know Richard. Oh, you know Richard well, and, uh, and a couple of other people that yeah. uh, might actually contribute to the podcast. Yeah. Yeah, we, we've had some great guests just this year. I mean, my co-host, uh, Eric T. Spar, Eric the Enabler on my show, he contributed with uh, the super rich characters because he played Price in my One Bureau 13 uh, D20 playtest campaign. It, oh, God, I mean, you can't keep him away from the, the TriTac universe now. I mean, and you guys have seen the posts that he's done. He's quite a character. I like the way he thinks. Oh, no, he, Eric, Eric's good people. I, that's why he's my right-hand man on my show now, because it's now just me and him. Uh, my buddy Steve went to guest star status, but yeah. Okay, Trav, that's the Eric who brings me Indian food, right? That's Jerry. That's Jerry, pardon me. John, Jerry, and I talked on the phone during B13, D20 uh, production. But no, Eric, he's the one that helped me make the Kabbalah families for B13, D20. Okay, yeah, that was a very good idea. Yeah, so he's brought a lot of good stuff as a guest host. So, I mean, we, we've had a lot of things added that's got us to now our fourth season. And I have a couple of folks in mind, too, I'd love to invite. Like, we, there's a thought of revisiting the How to Pack for Success. Because, well, in three years, we found that, you know, there's some more things you can pack to be, to be successful in whatever mission you're going on. Modern-day technology has increased just from what we put in the Fringeworthy D20. We'll look at that laptop in there and go, really? <laughs> Old tech. Yeah, I know. That's the one bad thing about technology and role-playing games. You look at a role-playing game and, like, even something, you know, Fringeworthy D20 came out, what, three years ago, two years ago? And you're looking going, wow. <laughs> technology and the science is leaving us behind. We write it down and it's stuck. Yeah. I did a preliminary write-up for the Savage Bureau 13, and one of the things I put in there was the Bureau no longer makes computers. You just go out and buy, it just goes out and buys them and updates them for the Bureau standard <laughs> and doesn't bother about doing anything with them because it's the only way to deal with yeah. it. <laughs> one thing I've wanted to do with some Bureau 13 characters, and, I, and I've never gotten a chance, is have them run across a circa 1983 equipment dump and let them play with the old tech they could find in there. That would be pretty And your cool. cell phone always gets bars, no matter what. <laughs> I like those stickers on your laptop. Yeah, they're magical wards. Stay away. Yeah. So all of you who are listening, and we have plans for this fourth season coming up, 
By all means, we have a Yahoo group still, I believe we have a Yahoo group still. For mm-hmm. Bureau, we have, we have Bureau 13 at Frenchworthy and Incursion and FTL 2448. We have Facebook groups for fans of the TriTac podcast. We have, for Bureau 13, Agents Everywhere and Fringeworthy RPG fans. At cons, that we're there. You know, you're at our games. Ask us questions. You know, give us feedback on the po- Something we need to announce is that the fact that the forums page, TriTacGamers.com, will be turning into a redirect to Facebook. But we're going to try to save the data that probably Bruce and John decide is, is salvageable. Put it together into a packet, and then uh, allow it, you know, allow it to be yeah. downloaded. That kind of thing. Uh, yeah, Blix, you have been asking those who listen. Please go to iTunes when you download these podcasts from there. Leave reviews. We will accept all forms of criticism. I mean, if you have a negative comment, please, you know, be mature about it. I mean, don't just be nasty about it. But if you have something that we may have missed or we not have touched on. Let us know. I mean, feedback, we've already done, I think we've done a feedback episode this year as well. Yeah, listener questions. So, yes, we do accept your feedback and act upon it. And we've done episodes as Paul Nunes, who's in the fans' uh, Facebook group. He's throwing stuff at us constantly. My co-host has also done so. Made me type them out again. Be careful. You get too engaged with this, you might wind up a co-host. The reason why iTunes is so important is because people see the podcast when they go to iTunes. They see it, and, and a lot of it is based on the amount of reviews you get. So the more review people who review this, uh, you don't even have to leave any comments. You can just put stars down. The more exposure we get, which leads to more listeners, which leads to more people playing the game, which leads to us being able to do more stuff. Yes. John, don't you have an audio file from... Paul Nunes? Let me see if I can dig it out real quick. Richard, could you elaborate for us upon Bruce Edward or Edwin Morrow? He seems to appear within the Fringeworthy universe. While he's pivotal for the Morrow project, he's appearing on other platforms, which makes his psionic power unique, because not only is he traveling backwards and forwards through time, he seems to be crossing dimensions as well. He does seem to be crossing dimensions. That's all I can say about him right now. <laughs> ah. Of violating somebody else's copyright. Ah, okay. That's why he spelt Moreau instead of Morrow when you see his see him written up. <laughs> well, technically, we, we still have partial rights to the project, but the new group <laughs> who's doing it is doing a very good job, and we're just watching what they're doing. He shows up in Incursion. He shows up in, in Bureau 13, definitely. He shows up in Bureau 13 in the book and in One Adventure. Does he show up in Frenchworthy someplace? One of the backstories? There's one of the backstories. There's some hints. We won't talk yeah. about that yet. I'm trying to remember if he ever shows up in, in FTL. Well, in, in many ways, FTL is kind of a sequel in some ways to the project. But yeah, there's there's some kind of involvement there. Uh, I'm trying to think. I don't think he ever showed up in Hinterland, though, did he? In Hardware Hinterland. Not yet. I may have to throw him in there in my current game. <laughs> yeah. All right, so we ready to wrap it up? Well, I've got one more comment to make. I, I very rarely watch TV or any of the new vampire or supernatural series, and you couldn't make me watch Twilight if you chained me in front of a TV. I would, I would chew my arm off. 
Ooh, we pay money for that. I picked up by accident the first uh, Suki Stackhouse novel, Charlene Harris, the True Blood series on TV. True Blood, not so impressive. The books, oh my god. And I'm, I'm actually very enjoying the TV series. My wife and I are at, at uh, season two, about mid-level, about mid-episode. I actually enjoy it. It's very bureau-ish. Could be the bureau universe. Yeah, I saw an episode. Not bad. One episode. It was. It it got me hooked. Not enough. Oh, I got to get it all. But it was pretty good. Watch it from the beginning. It's cute because the the title sequence won an Emmy about death, resurrection, redemption, and evil. The characters are likable. There's some wonderful funny moments, some really creepy stuff, and it's very much, I'm wondering why the Bureau hasn't shown up down south to uh, to keep an eye on this town. What's all right down there, honey? You're just not looking the right places. <laughs> and, my, and my wife says that the, the their, their take on southern personalities and lifestyle and everything else is right on par. It's absolutely perfect. <laughs> she grew up in that kind of environment. Ah, and one other TV series, Revolution. Lower your IQ by about 100 points, and you'll enjoy it. The, uh, the only thing I can say about Revolution is it gives a new meaning to the term science affliction. Ugh. Well, thanks, everyone, and we'll see you next week and the following year. But until then, this is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game, hate the players. This is Richard Tahoka. Wait till you see what's coming next. This is Jay. Keep it simple. The players are going to complicate it for you. This is Amber. It's all fun and games until the DM rolls a one. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at Tri-Tech Games. And if you don't, we'll be having your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.